Welcome, everyone, to our featured podcast on thought leadership with Dr. Ray McKinley. Dr. McKinley is an expert on leadership and character development. Let's join the conversation now. Hello, everyone. This is Ray McKinley. Welcome to Ride the Elephant Today. Today, we're going to discuss kind of a follow-up to things we've been talking about the last few podcasts. We've been kind of covering things around our blaming nature, being an excuse maker, finding ourselves in a victim mindset, and the power of unforgiveness. And that naturally would transition into this topic today that we're going to have with my son, Brian McKinley. And Brian, we're going to talk about fear-based beliefs a little bit. We'll start with there. And I would like to begin with a question. Brian, why do you think we respond the way we do? What is the nature or the basis or at the backbone of our responses that we give in any situation? Okay, so I believe, like you believe, that we all have the ability to respond. And this is like from top to bottom, everywhere you look, anything that lives or breathes or has sentience or has a conscience responds all the time to predators, to weather, to their environment, and then also other members of their species. So humans are no different in that we are responding. Okay, so what is the foundation? What is the structure within ourselves that causes those response? Well, yeah, I'm wondering, because many of us just look at it this way, and I always looked at it this way many of the years of my life. I just chalked it up to, that's just the way I am. That's the way I was raised. I didn't really give a lot of thought to my responses. I just said, hey, this is it. Take it or leave it. Like you can't teach an old dog new tricks? Well, maybe a new dog, old tricks. <laughs> In this case, because I wasn't looking and considering things that maybe were hiding in plain sight for me to figure out why I was getting the results I was getting based on the responses I was giving, why that was. And I came to learn a few things about that. So I guess I would like us to consider a premise. I'd like you to consider this premise and we'll weigh in on it. Our personally held core beliefs determine how we respond in every situation. Now, what is a personally held core belief and how does that determine how we respond in every situation? Well, a core belief is something that comes out of a deep experience or something that you learned that you took on and took ownership of and said, okay, I agree with that. I believe that too. And I know that in your model of response, belief has a tremendous weight to it. And what a person believes about themselves, about others, that has enormous bearing on how they respond, even if it's not conscious, even if it's not thought about. You have some beliefs in you, for better or for worse, that causes good and or bad responses. Absolutely. So you, the roots of all of your behavior go to your beliefs, and your beliefs were formed by life so far. Yes, you know, I think it's interesting because... The most common response I hear when I ask the question, what do you believe, is, well, you know, I know I should believe this, and, you know, I was always taught to believe that, and I know we are supposed to believe that, 
And oftentimes, when you get people to express their beliefs, they hem and haw around whether they are believing it or not believing it. And that is not, to me, a core belief. That is something that we think we might want to believe or would like to believe, but maybe it's not really a deep down belief. Because I find that beliefs really come in three different areas of our body. I call them head beliefs, heart beliefs, and gut beliefs. Now, what would you say if I said to you there's head beliefs, heart beliefs, and gut beliefs? Let's play with that for a minute and let's think about that. What do you think is an example of a head belief in your mind? People who do wrong should be punished. Okay. And were you told that? Were you taught that? Did you observe that in your history? Yeah. Yeah. So basically we could say maybe a head belief is a belief that we take on that we've been taught. It's maybe the way we were raised. It's the beliefs we were exposed to in our life experiences. It's the things you heard from others about what we should believe. Maybe it's biblical. Maybe it's theoretical. Maybe it's a value of the family. But it's a belief that really resides in our head. And head beliefs cause us to respond a certain way. All beliefs cause us to respond in a certain way. But before we weigh in on which one we do respond more intensely with, let's look at the other two. Brian, if I was to ask you, what is an example of a belief that you hold in your heart? Well, that's a little more tricky. I think that a heart belief could be that I am human and I make mistakes. Okay. When I think of a heart belief, I think of that. I also think of an emotion because it's in my heart. It's an emotional belief. It's a belief like I have about love. My feelings of love come from a place of what I believe love is. I have a belief about hate. There's certain things that I hate. And that's an emotive belief. It comes from emotion that I hate something. And then, of course, I take on a belief that exercises that hate. Or if I dislike something, again, I take something that I dislike and I have a response to it. It might be disappointment, it might be apathy, it might be a whole host of things. The feelings come out of what I believe about my experiences that I have a feeling about. I think beliefs that come from feelings are different than the beliefs that are in our head because the beliefs are what we were told to have in our head, where the beliefs in our heart are more what we have come to feel in our experiences of life. How does that fit for you? Does that make sense? Yeah, that makes sense. As we weigh into this third one, what is a belief you hold into your gut? When you talk about something, I just believe this in my gut. It's is a visceral belief. I was with somebody the other day, and they were talking about this belief. It's visceral for me. There's an intensity in a visceral belief that almost causes a physiological change in your being. It might cause goosebumps. It might cause the red face. It might cause you to clench your teeth. It might cause you to stutter. It might cause you to wiggle in your chair. I mean, it could cause any number of things. So you think of an example of 
a visceral belief, a belief that you take on that comes from your gut. It just changes your physiology. It's more than emotion, it's physiology. Uh, a belief that's in my gut. I don't know. I am struggling here with that one. Those are tough ones. My wife has this one. When we go up on top of the John Hancock building in Chicago, she will not walk to the window and look over the edge. She actually gets physically sick and has a visceral belief about her fear of heights. That's a fear-based belief she has is I'm afraid of heights. And she has this visceral response. And okay, that reminds me of one. Mm. That my personal bubble is mine. I have a visceral belief that my personal body space belongs to me and me alone. And when people step into that space or violate that space, I have a gut reaction. Similar to a person who's afraid of heights being on the top of a tall building. I have a very strong reaction to people getting in my personal bubble. So we all have responses. Again, we go back to, you know, the beliefs determine how we respond in every situation. So if in a situation on a tall building or you're in a situation where someone gets close to you, we respond because we have a core belief of something about that experience, a fear of height, the fear of somebody coming into my space that causes us to respond the way we do. You know, many people have fear when they're put on the spot and have to speak in a public setting. They're given the microphone or they're given the floor or asked a question in the public arena. Well, many people say that the fear of public speaking is the greatest fear. And when you watch someone being asked to do that, you can physically see their discomfort with that thought of them having to speak. Many people have visceral beliefs about relationships. You know, I've seen some men sometimes will get around a woman and become very uncomfortable because they may be not sure or their fear that they might not be liked. They fear they might not be approved of or they might not be matched or fit. And so people will have this visceral response to sometimes being in relationships. So whether our beliefs come from our head, things that we were taught, we're supposed to believe, we're told to believe, from our heart, the ones that have feelings attached to them, love and hate and dislike and all those emotions, or this belief that seems to emerge out of a gut response. I think the reason this is so important, Brian, and the reason I want to talk about this today is now that we've laid the groundwork for where beliefs come from, many of our beliefs that we have aren't even true, but we treat them as true. In other words, if we knew they were untrue, we wouldn't believe them anymore. But many of us have beliefs that are not even true. I had a belief one time that I was stupid. I wasn't smart enough to take college courses. I had someone tell me that. That was a head belief. But I never really felt that inside. So my true core belief was not that I was stupid. It was just that I wasn't ready to be smart. <laughs> when I started to apply myself, I went from feelings of being stupid to being very capable. Another one might be if you're told you're ugly when you're a very young person and you realize that, hey, being told you're ugly, was that really true? I you may have had some ugly moments when you were a kid, but is it true today that you're ugly? No, it's not true today. But we still 
operate sometimes, our beliefs still emerge out of us and determine how we respond in every situation. And the core belief that's controlling how we respond isn't even true. You know, we've talked about that last time, Brian, when we start recognizing untrue beliefs, we then can reframe that belief and look at it now that we're more distanced from that circumstance that caused me to believe that in the first place, that I may be more mature at this point than I was at that point. I've had more life experiences than I've had since then. And you know what? I can go back and say that, you know, that belief I held on to a long time ago is really not true at all. And we reframe it and we change that belief. Another thing that we can do is oftentimes our beliefs that we have are based in fear. And fear is a very, very strong motivator. And we get a lot of our beliefs based on fear. Fear of rejection, fear of failure, fear of being made fun of, fear of not being approved of. All these fears can get in our way and cause us to believe things that really don't serve us at all. So fear-based beliefs can be debilitating. Do you have any thoughts or examples of any debilitating fear-based beliefs that you've observed or any beliefs that are untrue that used to be true or no longer true? Fear-based beliefs seem to reside in all three of the levels. Like you've got gut fear and then all the way up to fears all in your head. And I think the speaking example is a good example because you've heard it talked about and many of us have seen friends, family, or strangers go up and bomb, if you will, in a public speaking environment. And I always feel for those people. It's really interesting how the feedback loop of being embarrassed that you're not able to talk freezes up your ability to talk. And that yes. just further paralyzes that person in yeah. stage fright mode. And I really feel for those people because there's a pretty good chance that in a one-on-one -on -one conversation or with their friends, they're really bright and eloquent. But then they go up and they have this whatever belief about how they're going to be judged, and that's in their head. And then there's maybe something going on in their gut that they can't even put words to. Yes, I've seen TED Talks. I've seen guests on other podcasts say, I'm really nervous right now. And you can like... You feel it in their voice, that yeah. like trembling. Yes. And it's interesting how just vocalizing, well, I don't know where to begin here, and I'm really nervous right now. That little bit of vocalization and vulnerability, I've seen that just set people down the track of once they start talking, they start with the confession of like, oh, I'm anxious up here. I'm nervous right now. Yes. And then just being able to confess that kind of gives them the juice to take the next step and start talking sure. and start talking. A lot of fear is real, but a lot of fear is undiscovered potential. Like you just didn't take the next right. step. You got to take that leap of faith ah, and, yeah. Yeah, and then realize that you're actually probably going to be okay. Yes, taking the leap of faith, I think, is a great way to mitigate that type of fear, those fear-based beliefs. You know, we've talked about fear-based beliefs. We've talked about beliefs that are untrue. Some of our beliefs are based on presumption. We presume something. Well, the most frequent one I see of presumption is I can't. We presume we can't. We just have made a decision, which is, again, a belief in itself, that I can't. 
So we have this presumption that we make. Another one is I will disappoint. We make a presumption that I will disappoint or I'm going to fail or I'm going to be ridiculed. So we make this presumption to not even move forward because of what kind of core belief causes us to have that kind of presumptive feeling or presumption that prevents us from making the response that would be better than saying I can't or I will not. I'm afraid I'll disappoint. Do you have a thought on what we can do to mitigate this presumption? It is challenging. I think that you have to be baptized in the fires of life. (laughs) In a lot of circumstances, you know, a good parent, I think, puts their kid's life jacket on and throws them into the water. I think a good parent kind of will leave their child hanging a little bit to figure things out on their own. Other people presume for us, and that builds in some of the presumptions that we have about our inability. And to have confidence that I can try and fail, and I'm probably going to be okay, and I might suffer a little embarrassment, I might have a bruised ego, that starts at a young age, your parents pushing you out to try new things, and Mm -hmm. even things that seem scary. My kids were at a neighborhood kid's birthday party, and they had a pony there. And I could not get my older son. It was a horse. I mean, to be honest, it was not a pony. I said pony. It was a horse. Yes. So my younger son gets up on the horse, no problem, without much convincing. My older son did not want to get on the horse. We finally managed to get him to do it. And once he did, you could tell that he was glad that he did it. And then more recently, a family friend works with horses. And recently he went out and rode the horse again. And it was like the experiences build having the confidence to know, oh, I've done this before. Yeah. You know, nobody just gets on a bike and is okay with it. Nobody gets on a pair of skis and starts going downhill and feels like, oh, I feel safe and wonderful <laughs> and comfortable. You have to go through the hard part. Yes. And then once you figure out how to do it safely and comfortably, it becomes tremendous fun. Yes. Well, you know, those are situations that we overcome our obstacles and overcome our fears. And that's awesome. But many of us find ourselves put in situations that we've not overcome our fears and we still make presumptions about ourselves well into adult life. And I think those are the things that we need to look at and say, what can we do to, first of all, recognize that it's happening and what we can do to modify that and change that. There's another one I want to bring up, too, and that's the sum of our beliefs are based in anger. I think this is one you and I can probably relate to pretty well in being hurt. Many people are hurt, truly hurt by something said to them, truly hurt by something somebody did to them, truly hurt by a circumstance or situation in their life that caused them to be angry. And they, by all measures, have a right to be angry. However, we take on beliefs because of that anger that may not be serving us very well. That, to me, is really something that we need to recognize. And I really try to encourage people when they have anger and say, what's all that anger about? What is at the core of that? If you can find out what is at the core of that and why you're responding with anger, because it is a belief you have. First of all, our premise is that all our responses, including anger, come from a belief. 
So what is the belief we have when we have a response of anger? Do you have an example of one or one you've seen play out? Well, and I think we kind of touched on this when we talked before about the victim mindset. You know, people want justice. When you're hurt, you want justice. And sometimes that feeling or belief that justice is due to me, well, it can express itself in volatile and dangerous ways. So when you have that unforgiving mindset towards something that someone said or did to you, you're carrying forth this belief of hurt. Well, then that also becomes a complication of life because you're afraid of being hurt again. Yes. So you push people away. You avoid having intimate relationships because what that other person did hurt so bad. I had a friend say to me, you know, Brian, the next one isn't going to do to you what the last one did. He just said that to me. I don't think he realized how much I needed to hear that. I think a lot of people would benefit from recognizing the things that the people did to you in the past. There might be monsters to slay in the future. There might be other people who will hurt you, but there's also people who are trustworthy. Yes. You can be vulnerable with, you can have an intimate relationship. Speaking of a gut belief, I have a gut belief that there are people who I can become close with. I don't have to be afraid of people. I'm cautious, but I know that with appropriate, proper energy and time spent together, that there are people who I can be vulnerable with. They care about me. When they say they love me, they mean it. It's genuine. When they say they're my friend, it's genuine. And I can trust those people. And a lot of people, I think, have a belief about the hurt in their life that causes them to avoid those new relationships and then also remain hung up on the past. All of that hurt and all of that suffering can make life not worth living. And it reminds me of Socrates. Is it Socrates who said the unexamined life is not worth living? Is that Aristotle? No, that's Socrates. He's one of those old wise Greek gentlemen. Socrates, yes. Yeah. The unexamined life is not worth living. Well, what does he mean by examining your life? This whole belief exercise, this whole personal history reframe, and then belief parsing, to parse your beliefs out, really puts tendons and muscles on that Socrates quote. Like, what are we going to examine? You say... Examine your beliefs. Right. And so one belief that I have been examining in my own life for a couple of years now that's been really, really hard for me is that thing happened to you, that person hurt you, and it's all in my head, and that bitterness, it's all still in my head. But deep down in my gut, I really believe that forgiveness is possible. Two people can forgive one another. It just takes time. Yes. And... I can forgive. Even on days when I feel I have this voice in my head saying, well, they did this. You remember that? You remember when that happened? Deep down in my gut, I feel that I have the power to override that voice and say, no, that person is human. That person is liable to make mistakes. You made mistakes. Forgive and love yourself. Forgive and love them. It is possible. Yes, it is. You know, the pain and suffering we have from some of the experiences we've had in our life. And I think most people have had pain and suffering from the experiences in their life. Recognizing that you created a set of beliefs about life, 
about other people, about yourself, as a result of those painful experiences and the experience and the pain you felt afterwards and the suffering you've had since. Like all of us, we can then say, let's forgive and forget. It's not as easy as that sometimes. We need to go back and look at and say, what did I come to believe as a result of that? And do I still believe that to this day? And why? And again, look at it and examine, like you say, the unexamined heart, the unexamined mind, the unexamined belief. You'll be in turmoil. You'll be in turmoil forever, unless that is taken a look at. You know, we have the beliefs that come from the experiences of our life and beliefs that we were told to have. And sometimes those are not congruent. Sometimes those don't fit. <laughs> you know, And this is where the struggle, the tension in within exists. Parents and teachers have been telling us our entire life what we need to believe. Theologians for centuries have been telling us what to believe. Our friends and the media and politicians continuously try to influence us to believe what they believe. So we have all these factors and forces coming on to us. And the question I would always ask, are they always correct? Just because they came out of the mouths of what we assume to be authority does not make it correct and doesn't necessarily make it true. It may be true, but it may not be true. This is where we need to critically think about what we have come to believe and the experiences we've had and what we know to be true for ourselves. Yes, there are set truths that exist in the world. However, many of those, even though we're told what they are, we oftentimes don't believe them. We have to have our own experiences around those before we come to believe them. One of my favorite quotes that I speak about frequently is, and I want you to weigh in on this, Brian, when I say it. What you believe says a lot about what you fear, and what you fear says a lot about what you believe. Why do you think I would say that continuously, and how does that apply to what we're talking about here? I don't know. It makes sense to me. Say it again. What you believe says a lot about what you fear. And what you fear says a lot about what you believe, which comes first. Yeah, I don't know. It makes sense. I don't know how to break it down. And I'm not sure. Nor do I. That's why yeah, I asked I the question. Yeah, I don't know what <laughs> exactly that should mean. I think for me, and the reason I say it is our fear, is it something we believe deep down inside at a visceral level or a heart level that then emanates out? this fear or does fear cause us to believe what we believe does it go both ways i think it does go both ways but not usually i think for most people fear guides all of it fear is running the show many people i've heard this said fear is the greatest motivator and i've also heard pain is the greatest motivator so is fear the greatest motivator is pain the greatest motivator if the, our premise is correct, the core convictions, our core beliefs determine how we respond in every situation, or does our fear and our pain determine how we respond in situations? I'm not sure we have an answer to that. Maybe some of our listeners are nailing this one down and they're starting to say, oh, I totally understand that. This is how it fits for me. But it's a question I keep asking because I think it causes us to reflect on how we're responding and how they tie into fear pain and beliefs. 
Yeah, you know, we talk about the whips and the carrots. Yes. The whip, those are motivators, you know. Yes. The whip is the fear of the pain mm -hmm. in direct application. But when you think about it, the carrot is also a fear. It's just different. It's the fear of not getting the carrot or the fear of losing the carrot. Right. So really, the whole program is run by fear. I think that I spend a lot of time being stuck there. A lot of other people spend time being stuck there. You're fearing you're not going to have enough money for your future. And you're afraid of what other people are going to say about you or do to you or post about you on social media. Whips and carrots. Whips and carrots all day long. And there's got to be someone who we can talk to <laughs> who can give us some hints about how to liberate ourselves from just being stuck in a life where you just feel like you're between whips and carrots. Brings another question up as you talk about that. Brian, are you willing to take on the consequences of believing something different from your parents, your teachers, your professors, your boss, your friends? And what happens when you do and you openly express it? Okay, that's a good question. And that depends on the beliefs and responses of the people around you, honestly. The motivation to conform to the beliefs of your family or your church or your community or your workplace are so strong because there's that fear of being value judged or being cast out from the tribe because you're not conforming to what the tribe believes. You know, we've seen in recent history that stating your opinion or stating your belief in the public arena or even in a closed arena, such as your family table or on a college campus, you're bringing up a viewpoint that doesn't fit with the narrative of the family gathering. There's a real risk in that. Yeah. And we've seen families be divided and anger and hatred begins to form between these different viewing points. What have we come to to a place where we can express our beliefs without a fear of retribution or a fear of being cast out. What is going on? Is that ever going to change again? Are we ever going to get back to a point where we can all have different opinions and respect each other and still love each other and care about each other, even with different viewpoints? I don't know. You know, fear is kind of the human way, and there's mythology about this. But it's like you look at history, and in the past, people have gone underground. Yeah. And gone to read books that are not allowed to be read. They have to go to a secret society and go to a secret library to have conversations about topics that are not allowed to be talked about. People had to go underground and meet in secret. And today you have this almost like a new religion or a new church of, well, we're going to whip you if you don't agree with us. And I think people are starting to realize, well, I got to go underground with some of my beliefs. I can't talk openly about certain beliefs anymore. It's kind of one of those such as life type issues where it's just the human way to want to control other people in the way that they talk and think instead of giving space for liberty. Has communication become the art of navigating through the dogma expressed by others instead of the expression of your own convictions? If you were to have asked me this question five to ten years ago, which I was you know, in my 20s then, so... You know, I still had some solid beliefs about the world, but I would have said, oh, you know, I think the world is becoming more open 
and that communication is actually better than ever and easier than ever. And people are willing to think outside the box and think in terms of nuance. I think people are ready to have an attitude of, well, we can disagree and still be friends. Yes. In that era of my life, that was a great belief to have. That was the experience that I had with my friends in college. We were all very different, but we all were open and we extended that love and liberty to one another. Now, I do not believe that that's the case. And I worry that right now, right now, communication is really challenging. To open your mouth and to have a conversation has become a proving ground. It's become a turkey shoot. It's become a dangerous environment to speak candidly and be vulnerable because you don't know who is waiting to attack you for your beliefs. There's a lot of people who are afraid of beliefs and nuance of belief. Yeah. And there's a lot of attacking in conversation. At least it seems to me. One of the impetuses for writing the book, Ride the Elephant, The Journey of True Success, has been this question, Brian, that you're talking about. Because I, too, have observed in the last few years, I think many of our readers are fully aware that the expression of your own conviction is at too high of a risk today. And it's not the way it's always been. It's society's elephant in the room. We need to bring this to a heightened awareness and really start having a conversation and standing up against and to the positions that people anchor themselves to. And if your narrative or your belief or what you want to express doesn't fit into their paradigm, you are labeled the ad hominem attacks run amok, division occurs, our sense of community is being lost. We are seeing more division and separation in our society than I've ever experienced. And it's sad. One of the things when I wrote this book, it was my attempt to begin a conversation that we can start having that would allow for an open dialogue without all the caustic rhetoric that seems to ensue once we start having a conversation just about anything. It's very sad. And I think all of us need to make a decision. I don't like the fact that we're taking on this belief that I can't say what's in my heart and I can't say what I really feel because I fear being ridiculed or rejected or made fun of or labeled. We need to mitigate that fear. We need to stand firm against those kinds of feelings that we have inside. And I feel it begins with us. As long as we fall away from this communication that is attacking us, as long as we don't be our authentic self and we don't stand up against it, we're going to rue the day that we continue to do that. We need to stand up. And we need to have an honest conversation between two people. A neat story I remember it just keeps coming up for me. I keep going back to when I was just probably a young teenager. And I ride with my dad into town and we go to the hardware, wherever we were going, it didn't matter. We would frequently stop at the gas station. And of course, back in the day when I was in the gas station, Brian, there's actually an attendant that came out and filled up your car with gas. The other thing they did, they opened up the hood and checked the oil. And they checked your windshield wipers and they washed your windows, actually with a squeegee. Now, if you want to wash your windows in the gas station, you have to do it yourself. Well, when the attendant was out there squeegeeing the windows, of course, you're having a conversation with him. 
I remember my conversation my dad having had with Alger, the owner of the gas station. And it was right after the presidential election. And my dad said to Alger, well, you got me this time. Your guy won, but I'm going to get you next time. And they said, yeah, you know, and, and they laughed about it. And they had a great camaraderie about the fact that this is life. This is what goes on. This is what we do. We all weigh in and make a decision about the direction we're going to go and the leadership we're going to have for our country for the next four years mm -hmm. or two years, whatever the case may be. We all collectively make that decision. And there was a respect that my dad had for Alger and Alger had for my dad that was still there, even though they were totally on the different opposing views mm -hmm. of how where we should go. And that was a wonderful thing. Mm -hmm. And like you said, what is causing that to go away? You know, you just said a few years ago, coming out of high school and going off into college, mm -hmm. you said you had those feelings, and mm -hmm. now you see them go away. What do you plan to do? And this is a loaded question, and I'll be totally okay with you not answering this one. How are you going to raise your boys in this environment to create a balance between having core convictions and core beliefs that are not based in fear? but based on their true belief. How are you going to do that? Well, I already started laying the groundwork. When beliefs come up, I will do a couple of different things. I'll ask them where they heard something. If they're vocalizing a belief. I'll just, I don't project my belief every time, although I do sometimes project. Mm -hmm. But I'll ask, where did you hear that? Or who did you hear that from? And then I'll ask them how they feel about that and what they believe about it. And I do that just to create a distinction that, okay, you heard that, but what do you think about it? In other words, you recognize there can be a difference between what you heard and what you really think about it, right? right? I've not really spelled that out, but that's the intention behind the two questions. Right. And then I also like to encourage them to seek wise counsel. And I'll say, you know, I've had some really good conversations with your Uncle Blake, my brother, about this particular topic. If you ever want to talk to someone about it other than me, go talk to him about it. He's got some pretty cool ideas about it. You know, Grandpa has some experience with this. If you ever want to talk more about it with someone, go talk about it with Grandpa, because Grandpa and I have had some interesting conversations. So I encourage them to go and talk to different people. And just to remind them that everybody has kind of a different nuance in their belief. I really have to say, I have to take an opportunity to affirm you, Dad, for your grace and your wisdom in the way that you, at the very least with your own children, you have elevated the relationship and the love over all other aspects of your relationship. So you have a heart and gut belief that I want to be in relationship with my children for all of my life. And I want to be in relationship with my grandchildren. But it didn't come easy. I've had brothers and sisters, specifically all of my brothers, and some cousins who have come forth over the years. We've all had different seasons in our life where we came forward and said, I am not going to conform to the beliefs and principles of grandma and grandpa and my aunts and uncles and you, mom and dad. I am not gonna believe as you believe. I'm gonna believe this, and I'm gonna go on a different path. 
And some of the aunts and uncles have really, really struggled with that. You really, really struggled with that at different seasons with my brothers coming forward at different chapters of their life and saying, hey, dad, yes. you mastered grace in those years because you still have a very strong relationship with me. You still have a very strong relationship with my younger brother. You still have a very strong relationship with my older brother. You still have a very strong relationship with my older sister. You haven't excommunicated any of us for our nonconformity. You chose to elevate the love of the relationship over the minutia of disagreement. You didn't demand that, hey, in order to be in my presence, in order to come to Christmas, in order to come to Thanksgiving, you have to conform to my beliefs and confess as I confess. It didn't happen overnight, but you extended grace to every single one of us. And that alleviated our fear mm. and made us feel loved instead of being afraid. Mm. Wow. And I have to affirm you for your grace, for your wisdom, for your love, because we get together as a family still and love one another because we know that we can disagree in peace. And you created that environment for us. Well, thank you very much for that, Brian. I'm very humbled by those comments. It hasn't always been that way for me, and I think you've alluded to that. It is a transition, and that's really what we're talking about here, is transitioning from an awareness of something about beliefs to a new awareness of what we can have as it relates to beliefs and transcend a better place in our relationships with our family, our friends, our community and just the feelings of contentment we have within our own life. So I want to thank you, Brian, again, for being my guest. I want to thank the audience for joining in. And may you join us again, Ride the Elephant, today, next week, at this time. Thank you so much. Thank you for joining us today. Your feedback is important to us, and we'd like to hear from you. Email your comments and questions to ray at raymckinley.com. Join us next week for another informative podcast with Dr. Ray McKinley. Have a great week.